0: Hello, I'm Tom Houser. Allegations have come to light about the behavior of a former legislative director in Congressman Rick Nolan's office. According to an article in MinnPost, multiple staffers have accused Jim Swiderski of sexual harassment. They also allege Nolan and two senior aides allowed Swiderski to quietly resign back in 2015 rather than make him face disciplinary action. Swiderski was also hired for Nolan's reelection campaign in 2016, but was let go after pressure from a group of Nolan aides. Nolan is running for lieutenant governor this summer alongside attorney general and gubernatorial candidate Lori Swanson. Nolan told the Associated Press he has zero tolerance for inappropriate behavior in the workplace, but he also admits he should not have rehired Swiderski for his campaign in 2016. The two other DFL candidates for governor, Aaron Murphy and Tim Walls, have both condemned this behavior, saying everyone deserves to feel safe and respected in the workplace. This week, we're putting two political ads you've seen in the past week through the truth test. The first one is critical of Republican gubernatorial candidate Jeff Johnson and his positions on taxes and spending. It's paid for by his GOP primary opponent, Tim Pawlenty. Who is Jeff Johnson? He's a career politician who
1: taxes and spends a lot.
0: Hennepin County Commissioner Jeff Johnson has served in the Minnesota legislature or on the Hennepin County Board since 2001 and ran for governor in 2014. But it's false to say he taxes and spends a lot. He's known as a fiscal conservative on the county board, and during the 2014 governor's race, he touted a 95% lifetime rating from the conservative Taxpayers League of Minnesota. As a Hennepin County Commissioner, Johnson didn't just vote for a massive property tax increase, he proposed one. This claim is true, but requires context. Hennepin County Board Minutes do show Johnson proposed a 3% property tax increase in 2009, but he proposed it as an alternative to a much higher 4.8% proposal. Johnson's proposal was defeated and the higher tax increase was approved, with Johnson voting against it. Johnson then
1: supported Governor Dayton's plan to expand the state sales tax to auto repairs,
0: babysitting, and more. This is true, but again, it needs more context. Johnson did write an op-ed piece in the St. Paul Pioneer Press in 2013, in which he says, quote, the governor did propose a controversial but wise change to Minnesota's sales tax. Johnson said he believed Minnesota should lower the sales tax rate and expand the base to some services. But Johnson ultimately dropped support for the governor's tax plan when he extended it to business-to-business taxes. Jeff Johnson supported spending millions of dollars of taxpayer money to support Obamacare. Again, this is true, but it's misleading. Johnson voted to support a request for millions of dollars in a federal grant from the Affordable Care Act, so a Hennepin County clinic could expand. But he's never said he supports the overall Affordable Care Act and expressed concern about seeking the grant money.
2: I have some reservations. I, I, I think it's a very vague plan, but the timing of it, we simply need to move forward now or risk losing a potential grant.
0: Higher taxes, wasteful spending. This ad includes a mix of truthful but misleading information that leaves an overall false impression about Jeff Johnson. It gets a D-plus on the truth test. And we will have the candidates for governor on our program to debate the issues ahead of the August 14th primary. You can see our debate with GOP candidates Tim Pawlenty and Jeff Johnson on Sunday, August 5th. Our debate with DFL candidates Aaron Murphy, Tim Walls, and Lori Swanson will air Sunday, August 12th. Our next truth test looks at an ad from Republican Congressman Eric Paulson In it, he tries to distance himself from President Trump and promote his push to protect one of Minnesota's most pristine wilderness areas. My parents taught me to love the outdoors. I camp and canoe with my family in Minnesota's Yellowstone, the Boundary Waters. For the second election year in a row, Congressman Eric Paulson is trying to distance himself from President Trump while also not offending Trump supporters. So when President Trump tried to take away important environmental protections for the Boundary Waters, I said no way. I'm for mining, just not there. It's too special, too important a place. This is true. Last September, when the U.S. House voted on lifting a moratorium on mining on federally-owned land near the Boundary Waters canoe area, Paulson voted no. The amendment lifting the moratorium was authored by Republican Tom Emmer and Democrat Rick Nolan. Paulson joined a mix of Republicans and Democrats who voted against lifting the mining moratorium, which still passed by a 12-vote margin. I'll stand up to my party or President Trump to protect Minnesota. This claim could be considered misleading. By voting against lifting the mining moratorium near the BWCA, Paulson was among just 22 Republicans who voted that way. President Trump and most Republicans generally back loosening restrictions on mining. However, on a wide range of other issues, according to congressional vote tracking by the website 538, Paulson votes with President Trump 97.7 percent of the time. That's higher than fellow Minnesota Republicans in the House, Jason Lewis at 90.5 percent, And Tom Emmer at 88.2%. Minnesota's Eric Paulson. This ad includes a true claim along with one that isn't backed up by Paulson's voting track record. It gets a B minus on the truth test. And you can see the criteria we use for our truth tests on our Vote 2018 page. Look for this story and all of our truth tests by going to KSTP.com backslash vote. When you head to the polls for Minnesota's primary next month, you'll notice something unique. A record number of women are running for office. Our Eric Chaloux breaks down the numbers and tells us what could be behind the surge.
3: A quick look at the top of the ticket for Minnesota governor and lieutenant governor is a first with the amount of women running.
1: The prospect of having it... Have this much female representation is exciting.
3: Julia Dayton Klein is with Women Winning. The group recruits and endorses DFL candidates for office. She says they've had 1,500 women reach out to them to run for elected office.
1: Especially with the 2016 election, we've seen an unprecedented interest in running for office.
3: Klein feels, along with the national election, the Women's March, and the Me Too movement, contributed as well here in Minnesota.
1: I also taught women, I think, I have a voice, I have something to say and this voice is going to get supported by a community
3: around me. Down ticket, you can also see a spike. 109 Democratic and Republican women are running for Minnesota's house, a jump from 98 back in 2016. The Center for American Women in Politics at Rutgers University is tracking the record number of candidates nationally. For women to see, Executive Director Debbie Walsh says for some of the candidates, the 2016 presidential election, Fueled their filing.
1: Would women just give up on politics? Would they go home, um, pull the covers up over their heads, and just sit out politics for at least the next four years? But in fact, quite the opposite happened.
3: Unlike in Minnesota, where more Republican women are running for state office, Executive Director Debbie Walsh says they are not seeing that trend nationally.
1: One of the takeaways from this whole experience is that we see women in it for the long haul.
3: Eric Chalu, 5 Eyewitness News.
0: And, of course, the list of candidates will be narrowed down following the August 14th primary. The state of Minnesota has never elected a female governor. About one-third of current state office holders, however, are women. We're hitting the road this election season for our new Political Brew segment. Eric Chalu will host a series of roundtable discussions with voters across the state. You can sign up to take part in this at KSTP.com. Up next, we'll be joined in studio by Minnesota U.S. Senator Tina Smith. We'll discuss her first several months in office serving in Washington and the issues she's focusing on in her 2018 campaign. Welcome back. Throughout this election season, we'll be sitting down with candidates you'll see on the ballot, especially the major races That includes the one involving U.S. Senator Tina Smith. She is making her first official run for public office as an individual candidate this fall. She'll try to hold on to the seat she was appointed to in January following Al Franken's resignation. She also served as lieutenant governor with Governor Dayton for three years. Senator Tina Smith is joining us in studio today. Senator, thank you for being here. It's
1: good to be here, Tom.
0: Now, you became a U.S. Senator without actually seeking the job. It was in many ways kind of thrust upon (laughs) you. An unusual
1: path. Yes,
0: it was thrust upon you after Al Franken's resignation. Now that you have the job, uh, what do you hope to accomplish and be your primary focus in the Senate if you win election outright to the U.S. Senate?
1: since i've been in the senate i've focused quite a bit on healthcare costs I, you know any place i go in minnesota I could be talking with farmers or small business people or families in any community around the state and everybody is talking about health care costs and what a challenge it is you know if you can't afford to pay for your health care if you're trying to choose between paying your insurance premiums and paying your rent you're not going to be able to have the kind of life that you want to have so I have spent a lot of time focusing on that
0: and health care is one of those issues that impacts every single one of your constituents there is nobody who is left untouched by that issue
1: absolutely and you think in Minnesota, probably about half the people get their health insurance through their employer, and uh, you know, a lot of people get their health insurance through uh, Medicare or veterans or uh, you know, other public insurance. Everybody is talking about the same thing. How am I going to be able to afford this? So I've really been focused on prescription uh, drug costs, which have been skyrocketing, and it's putting a huge burden on people. And
0: you also, I, I know you're a supporter of the Affordable Care Act, but you'd like to go further uh, to single-payer. Health care. Uh, that used to be uh, an issue that uh, even Democrats would kind of shy away from because of the cost, but it seems to be becoming a little more mainstream as uh, the costs continue to skyrocket.
1: It's surprising when you ask Minnesotans whether they think that there ought to be a you know what one um one health insurance program that everybody can participate in where there's universal health care coverage people really like that idea now you have to figure out how to get there when i was lieutenant governor i talked a lot about how we ought to let people buy into minnesota care You know, make have that choice some people have that choice maybe everybody ought to have that choice and pay for it yourself And in the Senate, I have been a supporter of the uh, Medicare buy-in. So let people who are struggling to pay that health insurance premium buy into Medicare and and, uh, get get good coverage and more affordably.
0: One criticism you'll hear a lot from Republicans on universal or single payer health care, they will say that's government run health care. It would be exorbitantly expensive. How do you respond to that?
1: Well, think about how expensive health care is for Americans right now. I mean, people are, I talk to farmers that are looking at health insurance premiums of forty, fifty thousand $50,000 a year. They can't afford that. Health care right now is expensive. We ought to be thinking about how we can bring health care costs down. And that's why I've been so focused on prescription drug costs.
0: Now, your potential opponent in the general election, if you win the primary, Republican Karen Housley, accuses you so far of mostly uh, spending your time in Washington just voting to obstruct obstruct President Trump and his agenda. I, I imagine, in some ways, you would take that as a compliment. <laughs> well,
1: well, the thing that I've learned is you have to always be looking for common ground. You got to look for places where you can find agreement, and I'm really proud of the work that I've done so far, working with Democrats and Republicans to try to get some things accomplished. So, for example. My Republican colleague Lisa Murkowski from Alaska and I have done a lot of work on getting better mental health services in schools. That's not a Democratic or Republican issue. It is an issue to help deal with the mental health crisis we've got. But but have you found
0: any common ground with President Trump?
1: You know, when President Trump came out and said that he thought that we should crack down on China for treating, for cheating, on our uh, um, in in trade and was really hurting Minnesota's iron range. I thought that he did the right thing. I called on him to do that. Now there's a lot that I disagree with the president on. Last week has not been has been pretty grim, uh, but the point is that when you're in Washington, you got to look for things to get you know, places where you can work together.
0: Even if you disagree on many of the larger issues. Now, your primary opponent uh, has run an ad that went viral called Dumpster Fire. He said there's a raging inferno. This is Richard Painter I'm talking about in Washington. He says he will be the best candidate to stand up to President Trump, and that seems to be what he's basing much of his campaign on. Your response to that? Well,
1: my response is there's a lot more to being a senator than just standing up to the president, and I have been standing up to the president. I called on Scott Pruitt to resign, and he did. He was doing great damage to the ideal of public service by the way that he was self-dealing. I'm very, I've been calling the president to account for his positions and the the actions that he's he's taken on immigration, separating children from their parents on the border. I'm not afraid to stand up to the president and call him to account for what he's doing, and I think that that is something that Minnesotans want want me to do, but they also want us to be talking about their lives and what they're dealing with, not just the dramas in Washington, D.C.
0: Let's get through a few other issues quickly. You oppose the Republican tax reform and tax cut plan. What do you think is going to be the result of that legislation?
1: The Republican tax cut plan? It's interesting. When you go out and talk to Minnesotans, a lot of people are not even exactly sure what Benefit they've gotten from that. There's so many other factors affecting families' um, financial security than that. But the end benefit is that it has put $1.5 trillion in debt on our children and grandchildren. It's not like that do- money was sitting in a bank account somewhere that we then uh, gave back in a tax cut. Now,
0: mining is a big issue in the northeastern part of our state, of course. Where do you stand on the Polymet mine and also lifting the moratorium on uh, mining on federally owned land near the boundary waters?
1: Well, my position on PolyMet is that this state has a rigorous and long environmental review process. PolyMet has been going through this review process for over a decade. Um, It's coming to a conclusion, and if this mine is uh, approved by the DNR with strong financial assurance and good protections for water quality, I think that it should go forward. Now,
0: I have to ask you about reports also that surfaced uh, late in the week about Congressman Rick Nolan, who allowed a top aide to resign back in 2015 without facing punishment for inappropriate conduct with some female staff members, and then rehiring uh, Jim Swiderski on his 2016 campaign. Some of his opponents are asking him to withdraw from the race for lieutenant. And a GOVERNOR, uh, SHOULD HE WITHDRAW?
1: WELL, I THINK FIRST I WANT TO REALLY COMMEND THE WOMEN WHO um, SPOKE OUT AND SPOKE UP. IT IS HARD TO DO THAT SOMETIMES AND I AM REALLY GLAD THAT THEY DID IT. AND uh, LET'S JUST ALL SAY THAT we EVERYBODY OUGHT TO HAVE THE OPPORTUNITY TO WORK IN A WORK ENVIRONMENT THAT IS RESPECTFUL AND FEELS SAFE TO THEM. AND I MEAN, THAT'S just so
0: important but should Nolan withdraw from the race for lieutenant governor you know,
1: that is not my decision that is going to be a decision for others to make and I'm happy to say I've hung up my uh, prognosticator <laughs>
0: <laughs> I've,
1: spurs I've, so I will uh, we'll let that we'll see you know, it's
0: up to them in, in current politics I've given up trying to predict <laughs> what's gonna happen next to uh, last real quick thing Brett Kavanaugh his confirmation is coming up I imagine you will oppose that
1: I am opposing uh, judge Kavanaugh the Supreme Court ought to be above politics and he's been selected from this list that was put together by partisan and ideological groups. I don't think that's the way we should be appointing justices.
0: All right, Senator Tina Smith, you've got uh, busy days ahead of you in Washington, D.C., and on the campaign trail, and best of luck to you in the primary. And I'm sure I'll see you on the campaign trail. In fact, I'll see you back here in a couple... Uh, 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 we'll see you back here on the show sometime soon. Tina I hope Smith. So. Thank you Look for being to here. it. All right, up next, Kurt Zellers and Mike Erlinson will be here for political analysis. We'll be back in two minutes. We want to take a moment to remember Doug Hennis, the Vice President for Government Relations and Special Projects at the University of St. Thomas, who died on Wednesday. Hennis was also a well-respected reporter and editor for the St. Paul Pioneer Press, and he continued that work throughout his career at St. Thomas, serving as the school's spokesperson, writing articles and mentoring young journalists. Hennis leaves behind his wife, Karen, and many children and grandchildren. Hennis was 63 years old. And I knew Doug for a long time, and I will be forever grateful uh, to him for saving my life once, and this is no joke, at a St. Thomas luncheon where I was choking on a piece of pork, literally could not breathe. My airway was completely blocked. He came over and did his version, the Doug Hennis version <laughs> of a Heimlich, and literally saved my life. I literally <laughs> saw my life flash before my eyes. So I don't know if either of you guys knew Doug. But I did, and he I was had, a great guy. Yeah, he yeah, great guy. Was, so he, he will be missed. Well, let's move on to uh, the story of the week. I think it's uh, Rick Nolan. This 11th Hour issue comes up about how he uh, allowed a staff member to resign quietly without facing, facing any punishment for uh, alleged inappropriate sexual behavior with several staff members. And, uh, Mike, you worked in Washington for a number of years. Uh, this may have been something that would have been allowed years ago, but not in the middle of the Me Too movement.
2: Well, I don't think it's ever allowed. I'm not sure what you mean, allowed. I don't mean
0: allowed. I mean, it was not talked about. It was kind of swept under the rug. Uh, That's not happening now, obviously, even though it did remain quiet for, what, two years?
2: Right. You know, I mean, I I do think that uh, Congressman's Nolan, Chief of Staff Jody Targelson, who I've known for a long time, you know, when it came to her attention, clearly she took action and Jim was removed from the office, which was the right thing to do uh... and you know how long that process took i guess we don't know for sure but just from the article that was in min post it sounded like it was relatively swift action after she met with the two young ladies uh... to remove jim from his role as a public servant uh... in rick nolan's office which was again the appropriate thing to do
0: but then he was rehired uh, to work on nolan's campaign in two thousand sixteen was that poor judgment on
4: rick nolan's part absolutely and i i think it's also poor judgment by the attorney general you know lori swanson and congressman nolan knew that the situation was hanging out there they're applying to be the number one and number two elected officials in the state of minnesota this is a lack of judgment in my opinion this disqualifies them from office knowing that this was hanging out there and still to allow congressman uh, nolan to be added to the ticket regardless of how he handled the situation, I agree with Mike, this is a, he handled it horribly, should have removed this individual immediately, but then to send him to the campaign, I compliment the staffer, the finance director, and I apologize, I don't know her. I compliment her. As soon as she found out about it, she brought it to their attention and he was removed again. Uh, should he withdraw from the race?
2: You know, I don't know the process for withdrawing from the race, uh, but, you know, we have to remember that Lori Swanson may or may not have known about this. I don't know what she knew, right? She knows now. Um, and I'm sure she's visited with him about the accusations um, and the process that that took place in his office at that time, and the mistake. Of rehiring him onto the campaign, you know Laurie Swanson, I think, can come forward very strongly and say, "Look, at I'm running for governor of the state of Minnesota, and none of this behavior will be accepted at all in my office, and it never has been in an office that I've been in." And I think that's important as this moves forward. Just
0: about 30 seconds left. Uh, some bad blood in the Republican side of the of the governor's race. You've got Tim Pawlenty running a very harsh ad that we uh, gave a D plus earlier uh, on the truth test. Uh, Kurt Zellers, I know you're a supporter of Jeff Johnson. But, oh, Tim to, of, of Tim <laughs> Plenty, Of Tim Plenty. But that ad seems to be a little disingenuous, painting Jeff Johnson as a tax and spender.
4: Well, so, and I, you know, a lot of political ads get close to the line. Um, I'm not going to make a comment on that. But what I will say is when I ran against Jeff Johnson, we had a debate in Duluth, and he did say, I agree with Mark Dayton's plan. I think we should expand the sales tax. But what he left off in and that lower debate, it and lower it. he forgot that in the debate that we were in together. So to say that he's not in favor of raising taxes, I, don't, I, did, I disagree with you guys on that one. Final quick word.
2: Uh, well, clearly the race on the Republican side is a lot closer than anybody imagined because I don't think people thought that Tim Polente would be attacking Jeff Johnson. And so the fact that he is would lead one to believe that this is anybody's race to win.
0: And they'll be here to debate in a couple of weeks. Mike and Kurt, thanks for being here. A new life behind the bar for a Major League umpire from Minnesota. We'll have that story when we come back. A former Major League Baseball umpire from St. Paul has come full circle in his life. Tim Cheetah worked his way through college and umpiring school by tending bar. Eventually, he made his way to the big leagues, where he worked in All-Star and World Series games. Then, after a legendary 27-year career in the Major Leagues, He's back bartending in his hometown at Mancini Char House in St. Paul.
4: Gets me out of the house. I still leave me enough time to play golf during the week. I can't play every day anyway because I'm not good enough. But I get down here and, you know, chit-chat with the boys and and have some fun. And and, uh, uh, it's been a great gig. I, I love every minute of it. Cheetah ejected dozens of players and managers
0: during his time in baseball, but so far he's only had to eject one patron. As a bartender at Mancini's, you can see my full story on Tim Cheetah online at KSTP.com. That's all the time we have for now. We'll see you back here again next week for another edition of
4: At Issue.